September 15, 1963, Birmingham, Alabama. An explosion has occurred at the 16th Street Baptist Church. The explosion creates a hole measuring 7 feet in diameter in the church's wall and 5 feet by 2 feet deep in the ladies' basement lounge. At the time of the explosion, four teenage girls were changing into choir robes in the ladies' basement restroom preparing for a sermon of A Rock That Will Not Roll. The blast immediately propelled the bodies of the girls through the air like rag dolls. All four girls, Addie Collins, Carol McNair, Carol Robertson, and Cynthia Wesley, were killed. One of the bodies were so badly mutilated that her body could be identified only through her clothing and a ring. Another had a piece of mortar embedded in her skull. The bombing came from 19 sticks of dynamite planted under the church steps by four members of the Ku Klux Klan. February 19, 1964. An episode of Jazz Casual premieres a live recording of John Coltrane's Alabama. The song was created as a direct response to the incident with the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing. Coltrane was not afraid to confront tragedy in his music nor shy away from the confrontation of living in a senseless and cruel world. Alabama reflects Coltrane's self-reflection in troubled times, a surrendering of himself in hope for offering comfort to traumatized people. Over 2,000 years before Coltrane, in ancient Greece, a man is on trial for allegations of corrupting the youth of Athens. This man created a devout following by inquiring, prompting, and persuading them through a series of dialogues and questions. His method of systematically rationalizing beliefs would become the foundation of science in the West. Once the assembly's charges have been stated, the man gives his rebuttal and declares, the unexamined life is not worth living. The assembly finds the man guilty and sentenced to death by the drinking of hemlock, a poisoning which causes dilated pupils, muscle pain, and paralysis, and eventually respiratory failure. This man is Socrates. We at Sanofi focus our attention on cultivating the individual through aesthetics, philosophy, and design by celebrating different cultures and subcultures within each collection. For our first apparel collection, we are beginning with the declaration of Know Thyself. We believe self-examination is the first step to wisdom and bettering ourselves and thereby others. The Know Thyself collection was inspired by the art, philosophy, and sport of ancient Greece and how these topics are interconnected from the past to the present. In this podcast series, each episode relates to an article of clothing from the collection and the inspiration of its design. And in this episode, we will explore how ideas such as self-examination, popularized by Socrates, and maturation, exemplified by Coltrane, are not values long forgotten, but are a framework for human development and growth. In most cultures, self-knowledge has long been considered a fundamental pillar of wisdom and personal growth. The particular statement of know thyself has its origins in the West from ancient Greece, where the influence of the Delphic Oracle's inscription on the Temple of Apollo at Delphi played a pivotal role. Obscure sounding prophecy and the Delphic Oracle was like, well, that's it. You, can, you have to work it out yourself. 
So you'd never get away with that today if you were trying to, um, you know, be a fortune teller or anything like that. My name is Dr. Caroline Tully. I'm an honorary fellow in the School of Historical and Philosophical Studies at the University of Melbourne. I specialise in Aegean Bronze Age religion and some Iron Age religion. So that's basically the Mediterranean with a focus on the Aegean area, which is um, Crete and the Greek islands and mainland Greece. And I'm also a professional weaver and a antiquities curator. There was a Pan-Hellenic temple of God Apollo at Delphi. And Pan-Hellenic means it was open to all the Greek city-states. And people would go there to consult the oracle on personal and on state matters. So they would go and ask her these questions. The oracle was a woman over the age of 50 who was uneducated and came from the village of Delphi. She wore a python, which is a, a young female garment, because one story says originally the oracle was a young woman, but she'd been raped, and so they decided to have an older woman instead because she had less likelihood of being raped. And the other explanation is the young particular garment was to indicate her purity. She would become possessed by the god Apollo and she would answer these questions. Sometimes what she said didn't really make much sense to the inquirer. So the, there was a whole lot of priests uh, called prophetes who worked there at the oracle as well. And they would explain, she said. And sometimes her answers, and even when the priests had explained them, were quite enigmatic. There was always a rumour that there was the crevice with vapours coming up. And a geologist, and I think an archaeologist, certainly a geologist, they found a few years ago, and it's been published in several places, that there's actually gases emanating right underneath where the Delphic Oracle sat. And they are ethylene and ethane. And they would have put her into a psycho, uh, like a, an altered psychoactive state an altered state of consciousness. But interestingly, at other oracular sanctuaries of Apollo, there's, there hasn't been found any evidence for psychoactive sort of drug or gases or anything like that. So those other oracles who were not called Pythias, the Pythia is one at Delphi, they would not necessarily go into a trance, into a drug-induced trance. They just have to go into a natural trance. So basically they were possessed by Apollo. He was really explaining what the will of Zeus was. So he's explaining what his father Zeus had in mind. You may remember the scene from Zack Snyder's 300 when Leonidas consults the E-Force who referenced the Oracle. There is evidence to suggest the real Leonidas did consult the Oracle at Delphi prior to the Battle of Thermopylae. In contemporary life, we can find the influence of the Oracle at Delphi in various aspects. For instance, the concept of seeking advice from external sources for decision-making echoes the ancient practice of consulting oracles. We still turn to mentors, counselors, and trusted friends for guidance in times of uncertainty. Additionally, we can see the homage to the Oracle Adelphi in the Matrix trilogy as the character of the Oracle has a wooden engraving of the words, Know Thyself, in Latin at the entrance of the kitchen. Know Thyself is one of the Delphic maxims, of which there are about 150, and these are sort of wise sayings that were carved around the temple. I believe the top three, which are know thyself, nothing in excess, and this weird one called give a pledge and trouble is at hand, 
I believe they were carved kind of near the near the sort of the front door of the or the the proper layer of the temple and other in various other areas. They were thought to have either sort of little wisdom sayings coming from the seven sages who are these legendary philosophers or statesmen or possibly to have been you know um channeled by the Pythia via Apollo and so know thyself everything about antiquity it changes over time so know thyself originally it started off to mean you know uh, you need to understand your limitations and know your place in the social hierarchy. Plato, later, who's the philosopher, later reinterpreted to mean know your inner self or soul. And then later on, it was even then interpreted to mean know the the outer world and, and the universe because that was thought to be some sort of reflection of the inner sort of human and things like that. So it had various meanings over time. But the meaning, you know, if we want to think about it as as kind of a self-examination and internal focus thing, we'd probably look at Plato and his interpretation as kind of know your inner self. Our collection piece, Know Thyself, contains the inscription in ancient Greek as it would have been portrayed outside the oracle at Delphi on the front of the t-shirt, Noti Suton. Below the Greek text is the English translation in inverse coloring, mirroring the Greek text. On the back of the t-shirt, the portrayal of the oracle at Delphi, mirroring herself in the same colors as the text on the front of the t-shirt. As opposed to giving counsel to a seeker, she is giving counsel to herself. Instead of seeking counsel from another, we must seek counsel within ourselves. Hence, know thyself. The article is a classic fit t-shirt made of 85% viscose and 15% marley. The viscose allows for softness, breathability, and draping, while the Marley helps with the visual coloring. The Delphic Oracle's inscription holds a unique place in Greek culture and philosophy. It served as a beacon of wisdom, a source of guidance that resonated throughout the ancient world. But let's dig deeper. What was the significance of this inscription, and how did it shape the understanding of oneself? When we think of philosophy, we often envision someone like the thinker sculpture or a professor like Chidi from The Good Place, an armchair expert who can recite plenty of academic esoteric jargon, but who does not put those words and ideas into practice. Socrates, however, would not ponder his ideas in solitude. He would engage in dialogues with beggars to high statesmen. Anyone he could speak to, he would challenge the beliefs and assumptions of his fellow citizens with a method that would become known as the Socratic method. Primary sources made mention to how ugly Socrates was. However, in the dialogue of Plato's Symposium, Alcibiades, who is described as one of the most handsome, talented, successful, a four-time Olympic champion, person in Athens. Alcibiades states that Socrates is obviously ugly, but his soul is so beautiful and godlike that he was compelled to follow Socrates, to whom he had become a student and the lover of Socrates. At the core of the Socratic method lies self-examination, a process of questioning and introspection that encourages individuals to explore the depth of their own beliefs and knowledge. But what made Socrates' approach so unique, and how did self-examination become the cornerstone of his teachings? Socrates approached philosophy with a deep sense of humility, an acknowledgement of his own ignorance. In ancient Greece, there were a group of men called Sophists, who would profess to have knowledge and wisdom to making people successful in life. They'd be comparable to modern-day self-help gurus. 
Many of Plato's dialogues occur with Socrates engaging in dialogues with the sophists and revealing the contradictions in their own teachings. This recognition fueled his relentless pursuit of truth. Operation Ivy Song Knowledge probably said it best. Quote, This time I got it all figured out. All I know is I don't know. All I know is I don't know nothing. All I know is I don't know. All I know is I don't know nothing. End quote. The Greeks had several words for knowledge, such as dianoia, meaning thinking through things, episteme, meaning knowledge simply, and gnosis, means immediate, intuitive insight, or you just get it. For Socrates, all knowledge is gnosis, and the other methods of knowledge are a way of gaining gnosis, staying the problem at hand or breaking it up step by step. At the highest level of gnosis, an individual can truly understand what Plato calls the world of the forms. Beauty. The good. Truth. To reach the realm of the forms or to interact with these values, one need to follow a rational process, or the Socratic method. But we'll cover the forms in further detail in a later episode. Later in the symposium, after Alcibiades states the beauty within Socrates from the journey of philosophy, quote, He traps me, you see. He makes me acknowledge my political career is a waste of time, while all that matters is what I neglect, which is my personal shortcomings, which cry out for the closest attention. So I refuse to listen to him. I tear my ears, for like the sirens, I can listen to him till I die. End quote. Alcibiades recognizes the importance of self-examination and the objective benefits it could bring him. Yet, he refuses to commit to the self-examination of his soul. At this time, the Peloponnesian Wars were occurring between Athens and Sparta. Alcibiades would later lead an Athenian expedition to Sicily, which was doomed for failure, and Alcibiades would eventually become a defector to Sparta. It is then that Socrates is brought to trial on his corruption of the youth, specifically Alcibiades. By critically examining our own beliefs and recognizing our own ignorance, we can create fertile ground for learning and growth. Self-examination requires us to set aside our preconceived notions and approach every question with a sense of curiosity and humility. Aristotle, the pupil of Plato, and Plato, who is the pupil of Socrates, further expanded on this notion. He argued that understanding oneself allows for a greater understanding of the world as it establishes a foundation upon which wisdom can be built. Aristotle believed that self-knowledge was essential for leading a virtuous life and achieving eudaimonia, a state of flourishing and fulfillment. The Socratic method was responsible for the creation of the logical framework of hypothesis testing refined by Plato and Aristotle, thereby leading to the scientific method. The cross-examination of ideas that define the valid approach to seeking knowledge is still how the scientific community determines truth today. Additionally, many law schools today will use the technique of the Socratic method instead of traditional lecturing. By the professor asking students thought-provoking questions, students will be able to think critically and elicit their underlying presumptions and ideas that could influence a student's view in a case. 
The imperative to know thyself transcended the philosophical realm and influenced various aspects of ancient Greek society. Individuals were encouraged to explore the depths of their own souls, seeking truth and self-understanding. Intellectual humility encourages us to be open to different perspectives. It allows us to engage in fruitful dialogue, free from ego and defensiveness, as we strive to uncover truth and deepen our understanding of the world. The Socratic method and self-examination serve as timeless tools for intellectual and personal growth. In an era of information overload and polarized debates, the humility to question our own beliefs and engage in self-reflection is more crucial than ever. Quote, it was always me versus the world until I found out it's me versus me. End quote. Duckworth by Kendrick Lamar. When it comes to the pursuit of knowledge and the flourishing of a person's highest potential, the Greeks would strive for arete. Arete is an ancient Greek word that means virtue or excellence, and it's usually applied to noble Trojan heroes or female figures like, for example, Odysseus's wife, Penelope. And it has connotations of, you know, fulfilling one's purpose in the most perfect manner. But it really, it's primarily sort of a, an admirable word um, where you're really, you know, saying someone is very, very virtuous, but not virtuous and in a sort of Puritan manner that we might think now, but more just like a generally excellent person. The Greeks would foster arte through the educational concept of paideia. Paideia encompassed much more than mere instruction in academic subjects. It was a comprehensive approach to education that aimed to shape the minds, bodies, and characters of individuals. Paideia recognized that true education extended beyond merely a classroom setting or a person verbally given instruction. It emphasized the importance of intellectual and moral development in the pursuit of self-understanding with the goal to foster well-rounded individuals who possess not only knowledge, but also the virtues necessary for a flourishing life. Students engage in a wide range of subjects, including mathematics, literature, philosophy, and the arts. According to Cornell West, music goes to school with science, mathematics, poetry, and literature. Dr. Cornell West was the first African-American to earn a PhD from Princeton University. The most would describe him as a philosopher, author, activist, actor, corn artist, public intellectual, man of faith, and music fanatic. But Paideia went beyond the acquisition of knowledge. It aimed to instill moral virtues such as justice, courage, temperance, and wisdom in individuals. The belief was that true wisdom extended beyond intellectual pursuits and encompassed a virtuous character, a character rooted in empathy, compassion, and ethical conduct. Paideia stands on three main pillars. One, attention. Two, cultivation. Three, maturation. One, attention. Placing our attention to what matters, not attending to the superficial, but to issues of life, death, excellence, joy, sorrow, and moral nobility. Cultivation, a learning process beginning by the interrogating and scrutinizing of the self. Maturation, the development of moral character. 
John Coltrane was one of the exemplars of the quest for wisdom in the history of the modern world who embodied a magnificent development and who stands as an example of what it means to wrestle to be human. Coltrane not only mastered the craft of the saxophone, but eventually would seek to expand his education via the study of Einstein and relativity, Jewish mysticism, and the Indian music Ravi Shankar. He synthesized disparate areas of knowledge to develop his moral character. The ancient Greeks were aware that self-understanding was a crucial component of wisdom. Paideia encouraged individuals to engage in introspection, reflecting on their own thoughts, emotions, and actions. This process of self-examination allowed them to gain insight to their own strengths, weaknesses, and moral values. Paideia also incorporated physical education and athletic activities, such as gymnastics and wrestling, as an integral part of holistic educational experience. The Greeks believed that physical well-being was essential for intellectual and moral development. Through physical exercises and participation in sports, individuals learned discipline and perseverance. All these traits would help the individual develop, and thereby helping the polis or state develop. Milo of Croton, a legendary wrestler, and Pythagoras, a renowned philosopher and mathematician. From a contemporary perspective, these two identities may seem dissimilar. However, the remarkable athletic achievements of Milo and the philosophical teachings of Pythagoras revealed the intertwining of physical prowess and intellectual pursuits in ancient Greece. Milo Croton, a legendary figure in the world of ancient Greek sports, born around 6th century BCE in the city of Croton, located in modern-day Italy, Milo quickly rose to fame for his exceptional athletic abilities, particularly in wrestling. His unparalleled strength and skill in the wrestling arena earned him numerous victories and the admiration of his contemporaries. Milo's most celebrated achievement was his remarkable six consecutive victories in the ancient Olympic Games. Milo's dedication to his training was legendary. According to ancient accounts, he carried a newborn calf on his shoulders every day and continued to do so as it grew into a full-grown bull. While Milo of Croton represents the epitome of physical excellence in ancient Greece, our exploration wouldn't be complete without delving into the philosophical realm of Pythagoras. Born around 570 BCE on the island of Samos, Pythagoras is renowned as one of the most influential thinkers of his time. He is best known for his contributions to mathematics, particularly the Pythagorean theorem, but his philosophical teachings extended far beyond geometry. Pythagoras believed in the interconnectedness of all knowledge and sought to understand the underlying principles of the universe. He founded a philosophical and religious community known as the Pythagoreans, which focused on the pursuit of wisdom through a disciplined and contemplative way of life. The Pythagoreans sought harmony in both the physical and spiritual realms, exploring subjects ranging from mathematics to ethics. One of the core teachings of Pythagoras was the concept of number symbolism. He believed that numbers were not merely abstract entities, but held deep meaning and significance. To Pythagoras, the study of mathematics and numbers was a pathway to understanding the fundamental principles that govern the cosmos. Despite their different fields of endeavor, Milo of Croton and Pythagoras shared common threads in their lives. Both were deeply committed to discipline and training, albeit in different realms. Milo's physical training and Pythagoras's intellectual pursuits exemplify the Greek ideal of a well-rounded education, or paideia, where physical and intellectual prowess 
were equally valued. Milo and Pythagoras were also linked through a famous anecdote. It is said that when Pythagoras encountered Milo in a wrestling match, he advised him to adopt a gentler approach. Pythagoras believed in the power of harmony and balance, urging Milo to temper his strength with wisdom and restraint. This encounter showcases the intersection of physicality and philosophy, where the wrestler and the philosopher found common ground in their pursuit of excellence. Milo became a follower of Pythagoras and practiced his teachings associated with mathematics. The legacies of Milo, Croton, and Pythagoras have endured through the ages. Milo's athletic achievements inspired generations of athletes, emphasizing the importance of training, dedication, and perseverance. Pythagoras' contributions to mathematics and philosophy continue to shape our understanding of the world and remain foundational in numerous fields of study. As we reflect on Paideia, we must consider its relevance in the modern world. In an age of specialization and fragmented education, the holistic approach of Paideia serves as a powerful reminder of the interconnectedness of knowledge, virtue, and self-understanding. How can we integrate the principles of Paideia into our own educational systems? How can we foster intellectual and moral development in our pursuit of wisdom? These are questions worth exploring as we strive to create a more well-rounded and enlightened society. In our next episode, we will explore the most foundational teachings on morality for the ancient Greeks, the epics of Homer. We will leave you with one of the most prominent advocates of Paideia, Dr. Cornell West. Paideia, singing Paideia, textual Paideia, various ways in which trying to get you to engage in what Simone, they call a formation of attention. That's the first moment of Paideia. How do you convince people to move from the superficial to the substantial, to move from the frivolous to the serious, to move from bling to wrestling with truth and justice and sorrow and sadness and joy. That's that turning of the soul. And the relation of that formation of attention to the cultivation of a self that respects reality. The unexamined life is not worth living. And Charles Darwin and Biggie would agree when they say the examined life is painful. This is a Sandify production, written, narrated, and produced by Esteban Galvez. Special thanks to Dr. Caroline Tolley and Dr. Tamara Lewitt at the University of Melbourne. If you like this episode, please share it. Follow and subscribe to our newsletter on our website. You can also view and purchase our other collection pieces at our website. Check out Dr. Tolley and Dr. Lewitt's curated exhibit, Ancient Lives, Insights on the Classics and the Archaeology Collection at the Porter Museum at the University of Melbourne. It is currently running until the 17th of May, 2024. Their exhibition gives a glimpse into the life of the ancient Greek and Roman world through everyday ritual and luxury objects. Links to their pages will be on our website. I would highly recommend checking it out.